Welcome back to another episode of Inside Inside Sales. Brought to you by our sponsor, Vanilla Soft, with your host, Daryl Prale. Join us as we interview industry experts in the dramatically growing field of inside sales and sales development. Tune in as Daryl brings you actionable strategies and tactics that can immediately increase your sales and success. So you ready? Hey, Daryl. How are you doing, folks? It's another week. Another week. Can you believe it? Another week is in the can. And we're sitting here. I'm really excited. You know why I'm excited? Honestly, honest to goodness. We've been overhauling the studio. It's going to sound exactly the same. If you're watching the video, it's probably going to look the same. You might notice is a little more depth of field going on. Most of the stuff is behind the scenes. I'm just so thrilled. I don't feel like I'm stuck in a closet anymore. We've had my poor video team in here running cables and hanging lights and doing crazy stuff. Also, we keep on bringing fantastic content to you. It's amazing because what you do, and if you're like me, and I'm sure you are, you make the most of what you got, right? So this room we're in that we like to call our studio, it's like the storage room that nobody wanted, right? It was full of crap. It's a freaking odd shape. It was horrible. It was horrible, but it was an opportunity, right? Out of something bad comes a possibility of something good. And then we transformed it in this great studio. And it's amazing because now today we get recognized globally for our content, our production quality and everything else. I have more people coming to us and saying, how do you sound good? How do you look good? Yada, yada. And I always say a plastic surgeon, but that's a sidebar. So that's the whole framework on out of something bad to something good. And that applies to sales too, right? You think about yourself. You're sitting there and maybe you're doing something that's, let's just go with less than optimal. Maybe it's your cold calling skills. Maybe it's your emailing open rates and click-throughs and conversion rates. Maybe your subject lines suck. Who knows? We've all got these issues here that are really challenging. And the best part of being in sales, just between you and I, this is what I firmly believe, is that it's actually safe. I can actually turn to my sales colleagues and I can say, dude, I suck at email. What are you doing? And they're not going to go, oh, I'm not talking to you, homie. Get your own skills. I don't care about you. I'm on my own. It's me versus you. No, even though we're both chasing quota, looking for the president's club, that guy, that woman will turn around and say, here's what I do, Daryl. Have you tried this? It's that tribe. It's that community. And I absolutely love it. So out of something bad, because something good. You had a bad skill. You developed a relationship. You learned some stuff you didn't know. You applied it. Life is boom. Fantastic. That's what sales is all about. Constantly, constantly iterating and knowing what works for you. So I would ask you this. Do you know what is bad for you right now? Or let's go with less than optimal. Do you know? If you don't know, either you're... You're ignorant to your flaws. And hey, I know I've been ignorant to many of my flaws, so no judgment here. Or you're in denial. Hey, it's all part of the process, but eventually you have to accept it. Or maybe what you need is a third-party person saying, yo, Daryl, this is where you're weak at. 
my boss would say, I'm really weak at submitting my expenses on time, and he would be true. So you get the idea. It's that back and forth of working with the team to develop yourself. So why do I bring this up? I bring it up because I was at a workshop recently, and the presenter was going at length about how the whole playbook, the sequence, the cadence, use whatever you want to in terminology. People are just sucking. You're killing your audience because there's so much bad cadences going on, whether the frequency's wrong, content's wrong, you're not personalizing it, it's wrong, and it's affecting you. It's affecting your quota, it's affecting your success, it's affecting your corporate brand, it's affecting your personal brand, and really it's affecting your productivity. Ultimately, what it affects is your success in your career. What kills me about this is this is such an easy thing to fix. So I thought, who can I go? Who knows how to fix really core sales tools and tactics? And I thought, well, let me see. I know this guy. He's involved in a couple of books, best-selling author, fanatical prospecting, objections, the ultimate guide for mastering the art and science of getting past no, inked recently out the ultimate guide to powerful closing and sales negotiation tactics that unlock yes and seal the deal. And I said, yeah, that's the guy. I need to talk to Jeb Blunt of Sales Gravy. Jeb, welcome to the show, my friend. Daryl, thank you so much, man. I'm so glad to be here. We've worked so hard to grab some time together. And you're talking about one of my favorite subjects, which is prospecting sequences and messaging around those sequences. And so many of the mistakes that salespeople are making the day that are turning buyers off and prospects off and basically dampening their conversion rates on those calls. For the audience, I got to tell you, you know, chasing Jeb down has been a challenge. And that's cool. That means he's kicking ass. He's having success. He's busy as hell. He's got his new book out. I'm halfway through it. I haven't read the whole thing. Ordered it right away. My goal is to have it ready in time for the Outbound Conference. So I'm pretty thrilled about that. He's going to be on stage at Outbound. If you don't know Jeb and the Outbound story, he was one of the original four guys who was there, has watched this thing just explode. Jeb, I got to ask you a question about Outbound because I'm really pumped about going to it this year. I've been asking every person I know, what's the one thing, if I've never been there before, what's the one thing that's going to, that I'm not going to expect, that's going to knock my socks off about this conference versus anything else? I can't give you one thing. There's a couple of things. First of all, the moment that you walk into the room, into the main stage, it's going to blow you away because we talk about it being a rock show and it is absolutely a rock show for salespeople. And most people are, their mouths drop open when they see the size of the stage, the quality of the stage, quality of production. And I think the number two thing that's going to surprise you is the accessibility of all the speakers. So unlike a lot of conferences where the speakers come on and speak and then they go to a green room or they immediately get on an airplane and leave, our speakers are going to be out in the audience. They're going to be accessible to you. You're going to be able to walk up to them, have a conversation, get your book signed, get advice, get coaching, whatever. They're all going to be there. And those are the two things that I think most people just aren't expecting when they get there. That's true, you know, because I've seen that from multiple videos and multiple comments. Just the other day, I saw uh, your colleague Mark Hunter post a video on the conference. And one of the things he showed, it was him 
shaking hands in the middle of the room, just nonstop welcoming people into it, going out to the hallways and say, okay, we're going back together again, and just nonstop being accessible. And what I've heard him say is that you guys want to constrain the size. You could really blow this thing out because of demand, and you're intentionally doing it so you can continue to remain accessible and one-on-one and have that intimate personal connection. Is that a fair point? That's, that's absolutely. When we put the conference together, you're going to recognize we're not an event company. You know, we're just four people that are putting the conference on. We do it in the space in between. You know how hard I am to get in touch with and meet with. I spent 311 days last year on the road and I'm tracking on that this year. So it's very hard to plan a conference like this on the road. But when we built this, we did it because of our love of the sales profession and our desire to advance sales as a profession. In doing that, we have to stick with our core values and theme, which was we want to do something that is incredible value for our, for the people that are coming. We don't spend a lot of time or any time really selling from the stage, 100% content. And we do things that actually help salespeople. So no hyperbole, None of the BS that you see posted on LinkedIn by the little bros that are trying to get some attention and likes. The entire conference is focused on delivering incredible value so that the people that come there get better. And part of that is that people want to meet us. We're authors. We write books. We go to a lot of conferences where we speak and, and we are running off the stage and getting to the next one. We just treat the people that come there. The best way I can say it is like their family. And we try to put on an event like none other. And one of those things is you'll see is, you know, people are coming in. We're out welcoming people and thanking people for coming because we're truly grateful that they are coming to our conference. So with all that training and knowledge and experience and talking to real people, let me just hit you up front. What's the biggest mistake you're seeing today with sales cadences and how reps are doing them? I think the biggest issue, if I could give you one, it is that the sequencer cadence begins with an email versus a phone call. Salespeople are starting off with an email and mostly emails that suck and rather than just picking up the phone. To give you an example of why this is a bad strategy, I'll just use a SaaS company that my organization was working with. We were doing some training, but a lot of consulting with them. They're a startup company. They've got some VC money. They're trying to move faster and they're using software like VanillaSoft to build out their sequences and their marketplace is pretty large. It can sell to just about any business in the United States. What they had done is they'd gone out and bought lists of people that they wanted to sell to, and they were putting them into this sales machine that some moron had taught them to do that was eight emails. So they sent eight emails, and the last email was a kill email. So I don't understand the purpose of a kill email with just cold prospects that you're trying to qualify. That makes absolutely no sense. It makes sense if you're at the end of a deal and someone's gone dark on you. A kill email works really good there, but it doesn't really work well in prospecting because you're going to have to come back to them at some point in the future on another sequence and call them again. But the problem that they had was they were going into a pure cold list, sending eight emails. And frankly, if you're the prospect, by the time you got to email number five, you're pretty pissed off because you're getting this spam that's coming to your inbox from people that you don't know. So we made a really simple change in the way that they were running their sequence. Two changes. One, we got rid of the kill email because that's just stupid. It makes absolutely no sense to send them any kill email in a prospecting sequence like that. But at the very beginning, we started with a phone call. So we would set them up and we'd say, okay, we're going to take a list of 25 prospects and we're going to dial those 25 prospects and we're going to do it as fast as we possibly can to try to get someone on the telephone. And sure enough, we dial 25 prospects, we're getting people on the telephone. When we get people on the telephone and they talk to us, they don't need to be in the sequence anymore because we were able to capture them. 
Then we took the people that we weren't able to get on the phone, and then we worked them into a sequence that was a sequence that included email and included a telephone call and included social media and included going back to another voicemail to them. And we did the, ran the sequence for over a 14-day period until we had taken about half of those prospects out. So we had either disqualified them or qualified them in, or we were running demos on them. And the other half of the prospects went back into the prospect database, and then we ran another 25. My message to them was, default to the phone because the phone is the fastest, easiest way that you're going to be able to talk to someone. It's easy. And if you leave a good voicemail message, you have a small chance, but you have a chance of getting a call back. And if you leave a series of voicemail messages, you have a chance to send to, to basically tell your story over time. And what I see now is that so many sales organizations, especially especially inbound organizations that are shifting to outbound, they're defaulting to an email first versus a phone. And so when I sit down with groups of people, I, that's where I begin is let's dial first, then we'll start running a sequence, you know, after the first dial for the people that we don't get in touch with. And it just works because if I can make 25 calls, I can talk to three people, one of those three people is going to turn into a demo or a discovery call and end up in my pipeline. Okay, so what about the people that say to you, nobody answers the phone? Why am I starting off with a phone call? Because nobody answers the phone, but they're going to do an email, they're going to skim it, they're going to multitask in a meeting, respond to me. How do you respond to them? And then the second part of the question is going to be voicemail. Who does voicemail anymore? Is that even relevant? These are the objections we hear all the time. Nobody answers a phone that doesn't ring. That's simple. <laughs> People every day tell me nobody answers the phone. And every day in our fanatical prospecting boot camps, every day, I've got a huge training team that are out in the street and they're working with our clients. People say the phone doesn't ring. So we say, okay, that's fine. 15 minutes, 15 dials, set one appointment, go. And sure enough, we set appointments. Sure enough, people answer the telephone. We do this with military because we work with military recruiters. We do this in commercial and we do this across every industry you can possibly imagine because my firm is industry agnostic. So I can be working with sports one day, manufacturing one day, software the next day, and people answer the phone. And one of the reasons they answer the phone is because the phone is attached to them. We all have these little things in our pockets. And so we answer the phone. And it turns out, Daryl, the stats will tell you that more people are answering the phone today than they were 20 years ago because the phone's attached to them and because nobody is dialing the phone. So A, what I tell you is if you tell me nobody answers the phone, I say BS, people answer the phone. Oh, but Jeb, most of my calls go to voicemail. Yes, they do. That's how it works. Suck it up. Most of the calls went to voicemail in 1990 and most of the calls are going to go to voicemail today. That's a fact. So if your call is going to go to voicemail, you need to leave a voicemail. And yes, people listen to voicemails. And yes, people return voicemails because we see this every single day in our boot camps. When we teach people how to leave a voicemail that will get returned, we're sitting in the, in the call block. We're sitting in the training because we're running live call blocks. And damn it, people's phones aren't ringing because people are returning their phone calls because they left a voicemail that someone would actually return. And, and this is important, so many voicemails are being translated into text these days so that people are actually reading what you say. So voicemail has a way of being text or email if you send a good voicemail. So people will call you back from that. And because people are calling on cell phones, are answering their cell phones, and because there's so much spam that's coming to cell phones, here's what happens. If you leave a voicemail, it tells them that your call was important because you left a voicemail, and they're much more likely to call you back. So you increase the probability that someone's gonna call you back. And like the great one, Wayne Gretzky said, right? You miss every shot you don't take. So if you don't leave a voicemail, there's no probability that you're gonna get a call back. This whole notion that A, people don't 
answer the phone and B, what's voicemail? It's all BS. It is complete BS. It's a complete excuse for people who are afraid to have conversations with other human beings. Just so we were clear on this, I'm going to give you my top secret that I teach salespeople everywhere I go. It is a top secret. The more people you talk to, human to human, the more stuff you're going to sell. And the last time I checked, you can't talk to somebody on an email. You need to have a conversation with them. And by the way, if you can sell your stuff over email, your company doesn't need you because I can hire a robot to do your job. All right, then let me ask this question. There are many people out there who are saying, yeah, we're good. All I need is an email only sequencer. There's many vendors out there that do that. But I'm hearing you say multi-channel. I'm really hearing you go all in on the phone. So when someone says to you, I just want product A or product B that just does email sequencing, nothing else, what response do you have for them? I fire your sales team, hire a marketer, and go get a MailChimp account. I mean, if you just want to send emails to people, you don't need to have a sales organization. There's no purpose in that. Just run an inbound marketing organization and just do that. I mean, when you say, I just need email, it's not an email sequence. It's not a one-to-one -one email. It's not an email to a prospect. It's bulk emailing. There's nothing wrong with that. I told you before, I've got over a million people on my list. I send emails out every single week. I sell stuff via emails. And I sell stuff that I don't need salespeople to, to handle because people can buy it directly off email. But that's not prospecting, that's marketing. So if you tell me that you need an email-only sequence, my question is, why? Like, what's the purpose in that? Because it's an only email sequence, and in the return rate on emails is two, three, four percent what's the point? Why wouldn't you use all of the above? Why wouldn't you use every channel that you have? I mean, the entire purpose of software like VanillaSoft, a software that basically helps you with sales engagement. In other words, we're trying to engage prospects. The sequence allows you to use all of the ch prospecting channels that you have available to you, but it allows you to use everything. If you're only going to use a thin slice of the software, what's the point? So you have LinkedIn Navigator and plain old free LinkedIn. You have text messaging, which works pretty well with prospects that know you. So for example, if you're calling into a list of people that you've sold to before, not buying from you right now, but they have a relationship with the organization, then text messaging can work really well. Email works just fine. Email is a great medium. Uh, so is the telephone. And by the way, if you are a field sales organization, and there are tons of field sales organizations, so does going in person. So for example, if you ran a 54321 sequence, you would make five phone calls, and that would be five voicemails if you didn't engage the prospect. Because as soon as you engage the prospect, they come out of the sequence. So if I made five voicemails, then I did four emails, then I did three social media touched, and I did two in-person calls, and I sent one snail mail or one gift. Over that period of time, let's see, I did that over 14 to 21 days, and I did that with a highly targeted list. I'm gonna increase the probability, and that's what we're really focused on, right, with sales engagement. I'm gonna increase the probability that I'm gonna engage one of those targeted prospects through one of those channels that they like best. Of course, there are people who prefer email. Of course, there are people who prefer having a conversation. There are some people that are going to be more likely to engage with you in person or online, depending on what you do. So you want to use all the channels that you have available to you to give yourself the largest and highest probability of getting in touch with the right prospect at the right time with the right message. So if you feel like you've been just like drinking from the fountain here with all this information, guess what? We're going to give you a chance to catch your breath. We're going to go to a brief commercial, but when we come back, I'm going to hit Jeb up and say, what's the one thing you can do on your email cadence to have better success? Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
CRM was designed for managing relationships. Sales engagement is designed for starting them. Current stats indicate that sales reps only contact new leads about 50% of the time, make less than two attempts to contact them, and are only about 35% productive. CRM is the wrong tool to engage sales prospects. VanillaSoft is a sales engagement platform. It allows you to rapidly turn marketing qualified leads into sales qualified leads. According to user reviews, VanillaSoft will increase your pipeline and productivity by three times or more. Blow your quota out of the water. How? By ensuring each new sales lead is engaged within seconds, persistently, and with the cadence that is optimal for your prospects. Don't let your sales leads fall into a black hole. Take your lead engagement and sales qualification out of your CRM. Try VanillaSoft for free at VanillaSoft.com. Okay, Jeb, we see so many people messing up the email side. My personal biggest beef is when they're just sending out canned emails, no personalization, no context. And it's just a spam machine. That's the fastest path if you're trying to sell me to get yourself blocked, junk, spam, unfollowed on LinkedIn, etc. So that's me, but you're the expert. You tell me when it comes to cadences and doing the outreach and using the email channel, what's the one thing reps can do better or different to have more success? I think you're exactly right, Daryl. So one of the big problems that we face is that you just get spam, spams. And I'm pretty forgiving because I love salespeople, uh, but there's a point where you can push me too far and you can hit me with too many emails and not get a clue, I'm gonna spam you. And my clue is, I'm not doing business with you via email. You need to talk to me at some point. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't get my attention through email. You can if the email is structured the right way. So number one is you got to recognize that there are basically three types of emails that you're going to send. We talked about one. One is a bulk email. That is a email that goes from one person to many people. And that's typically marketing. So when you send out your newsletter or you send out an offer or you send out anything that's really focused on bringing people inbound, that's a marketing email. It's bulk, one to many. Those bulk emails can get spammed out. They get unsubscribed because the message didn't hit today or you hit a, hit a person on the wrong day, they're gonna get off your list. You're sending those type of emails because you're list building, you're sending that through marketing. Another type of email that you're gonna send is a semi-customized email. So if you are a sales rep and you have a big prospect base, you're, you know, high activity. So you've got to make 50 to 100 touches a day via phone, via email, whatever. In those cases, you're probably not going to have time to research every single prospect so that you can know everything about them. So what you have to do is guess and infer what issues they may be facing. With those types of emails, it's best to focus on, are you going out to a role that is similar to other roles? I'm sending out to CEOs or I'm sending out to directors of sales or I'm sending out to CIOs. And also you've got to sort of to it or think about what exactly are they facing? What are the issues that they're facing? So that you can build out an email that may be particular to a marketplace or a vertical that's gonna connect with most people. Those require some A-B testing because you're not always gonna know what's gonna work. You'll maybe work with some small groups to see what gets you the best response. But those emails, they're not gonna be always perfect for every single human being. The third group of emails are when you're working on a highly targeted list with conquest accounts or dream accounts. Um, you're a uh, salesperson and you work in large account sales. So you're gonna have a limited database. You're gonna probably be working across a wide array of stakeholders inside a single account. 
and you're going to be working up the ladder. So you may be working from middle all the way to the top or you're working from the top down. You're going to have only a couple of chances to get in and grab someone's attention. And those emails need to be customized and personalized to the individuals that you're sending those emails to. Now, if you've ever sent an email like that, you know that personalizing an email and making it right takes a lot of time. So you're typically gonna be doing that with a highly targeted list of large accounts where the stakes are pretty high and the risk of making a mistake um, can take you out of the game permanently. With the last two types of emails, Daryl, so whether it's a semi-custom email or a permanently custom email, if you want to get a better response, there's a couple of things that you have to do. You have to think about familiarity. And this is, by the way, is where phone and voicemail and social media really come into play. If you send an email and people recognize your name or recognize your company name, in that case, you, you've got a better chance of getting the email opened. That's why running a cadence where you're leaving voicemail actually matters. Or when you're clicking on someone's profile so they can see you on LinkedIn, those things matter. Familiarity makes a difference. That's going to get it open. That's part of it. The next part is the subject line in the first sentence. So when you look at a screen, especially a small screen like a phone here, on a phone, when you open up the phone, you're gonna see the subject line, you're gonna see the first sentence. And those two things matter the most. Those are your hooks. The first thing is the subject line. That needs to be something that's gonna grab their attention. You want that to be about them, not you. So if you said, for example, sales gravy is the greatest, like they're just gonna move off. It's not gonna be about them. And that first sentence hook has to be about them and their situation. So let me give you an example. Let's say that I'm sending an email to CFOs who work in banking. I might have an email with a subject line says, Ernst & Young says the CFO, banking CFO, has the hardest job in finance. Like if that was something that was there. Immediately, if I'm the CFO, that's something that connects with me. Boom, I'm gonna grab that. The next sentence might say something like, most CFOs in banking today are frustrated because of boom. The first sentence is about me. The first sentence is about what I'm going through, the issues that I'm facing. So if you get those two things right, you're usually going to pull people in. People who get my attention will say, love your book. So if you want to get my attention, you write me an email that says, love your book. And the first sentence is sincerely about the book. I'm going to keep reading. If the first sentence says, we're the biggest company that does this, I'm done. And oh, by the way, there's a really important thing. If it says, hi, Jeb, or hello, Jeb, I'm just deleting you because I know that you're just spamming me. One of the things that I recommend the salespeople do is that they put the name of the person, Daryl, comma, the same way that you would email a colleague because we're professionals. We're in sales. We're not saying hi and hello to people. And by the way, no one else in business addresses you that way except for salespeople. So I would eliminate that. The next thing that you have to do is you have to have the very next paragraph. So after you have that first sentence, the very next paragraph has to relate to them and their situation. So when you're doing a semi-custom email and you're doing it, say, in a particular industry, you have to think about what the role you're going after, the role you're, you're writing to, what type of frustrations, issues, opportunities they see, what emotions are they feeling, what's happening in their world. So step into their shoes and the very next paragraph, you have a first sentence, next paragraph is all about them, not about you, about them. Following that, you want to have a bridge. And all a bridge does is just link. So it's a value bridge from relating to their situation to what you can do to help alleviate that pain. 
help them uh, achieve a business outcome that's measurable for them? What are you doing to help them? And how can you help them in their language, not your language? And then there's an ask. So the ask can be, let's get together, let's meet, here's something I want you to download, and I'm just gonna run a sequence where you're downloading something, then I'll come back in after you download, so I see that engagement there. That's one of the tactics you can use. There's a call to action, and what I recommend to salespeople, if you're gonna use a calendar link, so here's my calendar, pick something, I recommend that you say, I have time on my calendar on two o'clock on Thursday, from three to five, or what have you, or, if it's more convenient for you, here's my calendar, click on that so that you give people the option and it doesn't come off as you making them do your job, if that makes sense. So if we just go back and review that, you have the hook, which is the subject line and the first sentence. If they're familiar with you, you're more likely to get an opened email as long as you're there, you haven't been completely annoying. Then you have a relate statement or paragraph that relates to them. Then you have a value bridge. How do you solve a problem for them? Then you have an ask and you really wanna keep this short on an email, 250 words or less. And I would say if you can go less than that, 150 words or less. And then if you're sending an in-mail, follow the exact same process, except that you won't have a subject line and it probably needs to be even shorter. Try to drop it into 100 to 150 words so it's easy for people to consume. If you do those things, I promise you, guarantee you, that you'll double your conversion rate off of emails because suddenly your emails will be about them and not just annoying spam that's all about you, all about your product, and doesn't even demonstrate that you care enough to do any type of research to customize the, the email to them. My goodness, Jeb Blunt, I don't even know if he breathed in that whole segment, bringing it to talk about cadences and what you can do to improve your success rate. I love all of his points he's making, but the whole point about, you know, nobody answers a phone that doesn't ring, gold, fantastic. Personalizing those emails, the way he breaks down the three different kinds of emails and knowing what you're doing and where to invest your time, spot on. His second bunch of emails there, where he's saying, just pick a role, a persona, that just means your list needs to be highly segmented. I'm only going to do email cadences to the CRO in this industry and in this size company and then I'll move on to the next one afterwards so you can really nail that messaging love that invest your time in the wish list the, the monster list you want to get those named accounts those anchor accounts those beachheads to really bring it home that my friends is how you work a cadence it is not a rinse and repeat laundromat it's a use the tool to get what you want done and do it well, that is Jeb Blunt. You can check him out at salesgravy.com. He is the best-selling author of books like Fanatical Prospecting, Sales EQ, Objections, and his latest and greatest, Inked. Check him out. Jeb, thank you for your time today, sir. I am so glad you stopped by to say hey. I'm going to forward, I'm looking forward to seeing you at outboundconference.com. With that, folks, we're done. We're out of here. It's another week until we'll talk again. In the meantime, I wish you much success with your sales efforts. Daryl Pearl here, VanillaSoft. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening once again to another episode of Inside, Inside Sales. Hosted by Daryl Prale, the CMO of VanillaSoft. Tune in every other week for actionable ideas to increase your sales productivity. One of the many shows on the ever-growing Funnel Radio Channel. Sponsored by Vanilla Soft. <laughs>